Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy, Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing fantastic. We just had a really, really good show with Joe Laluz, the CEO of Bison Trails. For those of you who are not familiar with Bison Trails, they kind of got their first uh, big public 15 seconds of fame when they were announced as part of Libra. Um, but generally speaking, they are a blockchain and cloud provider. Um, they host a lot of different proof of stake coins as well as Ethereum nodes. And they are a big part of the development of a lot of different projects. Their solution seems like it's fairly robust and, um, and it seems like they are very much part of the community. So it's very interesting to get to talk to Joe and, and learn about, you know, how he interacts with this and, how he got started. But before we get into all of that, let's talk about our sponsors. Our first sponsor is eToro. You guys know how it goes. eToro is one of the most important crypto exchanges in the world. They recently brought their services and their exchange and trading products to the United States. And the most unique thing about them is their copy trader features. Essentially, what you can do is you can hop onto eToro. And if you want a little bit of exposure to a more active trading style, search through a list of well-known traders and and choose to get some exposure to them with just one click of the mouse. You don't actually have to do any of the TA or look at any of the fundamentals. You can kind of have the active trading strategy exposure. Of course, I always like to stack sats and you can do that using eToro as well. You can buy Bitcoin or your favorite cryptocurrencies and then pull it off of the exchange and actually withdraw it into your own hardware wallet. So eToro is a one-stop shop for you know all the kind of crypto exposure that you want. B.tc backslash eToro POV. Again, that is B.tc backslash eToro POV. So that way they know we sent you there. Speaking of eToro, eToro is a previous customer of our next sponsor, uh, Quantstamp. Quantstamp is the premier smart contract auditing firm in the crypto space. They probably have the biggest resume of previous clients that they have audited, including MakerDAO, including eToro, and also some of the newest clients out there, such as Sablier, Pool Together, RDI, uh, Quantsamp's uh, ex- expertise and hand on, hands-on experience with smart contract auditing is none other in the space. And this is only going to become more and more important as Ethereum grows. If you have an application or a dApp in the Ethereum space and you are using or controlling or managing users' funds, you need to get it audited, which means you need to go to expertaudits.com and get that smart contract reviewed. Uh, you can see their suite of services on their website. Quantsamp, thank you so much for sponsoring POV Crypto. Really like you guys as a sponsor. And without further ado, let's get into the interview with Joe Laluz from Bison Trails. All right, everyone. Welcome to POV Crypto. This week, I'm really excited to be talking with Joe Laluz, the CEO of Bison Trail. Um, Bison Trails does a lot of stuff in the space, uh, working with a lot of different coins. One of their kind of biggest PR hits and moments was earlier this year when they were announced as one of the uh, companies supporting and working with Libra, which is pretty exciting. Uh, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to learn more about you, learn more about Bison Trails, and then jump into some of these like cool niche infrastructure um, thoughts and topics that we have laid out. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Uh, really stoked to be here and really excited to chat with you all about what we've been up to and 
all the all the other fun stuff. Why don't we just get started with like a quick introduction to you and how you got into this space? Um, I've been a startup founder for a really long time. Uh, I've uh, you know been working in the startup space for a really long time. So I've founded a number of different companies, working actually with the same business partner. So my co-founder and I have been working together for you know 15 plus years, and uh, we've worked on a few different companies in the past. Uh, and uh, we're both technical, uh, and uh, we are both. Uh, really, honestly, the best way to describe it, we're just both huge nerds. Um, and so, uh, you know, some everybody has their sort of like when I got into crypto or when I got into Bitcoin or when I got into Ethereum story. And, you know, the first time was back way back when, you know, everybody has, sort of has like their own their own like really glamorous story. Ours is actually way less glamorous. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like we're just two huge nerds that were like, whoa, this is some really crazy technology. I, I can't, um, you know, someone that I had worked with at one point. Uh, had mentioned that they uh, were looking at Bitcoin. It was this like new, interesting, cool, like programmable type of money. Uh, we, I thought it was super cool. This was, you know, realistically like 2012 or something, 2011. Uh, actually, no, yeah, it was like 2010, 2011. Um, but I wasn't like, oh man, this is the future. Like this is, this is where it's at, uh, you know, better get on this. I was kind of like, yeah, this is like super weird. And uh, and so um, that was like my first foray with, with Bitcoin. Um, really early on, around the same time, uh, we were doing stuff like mining Bitcoin and in uh, AWS or, you know, using some of the Bitcoin faucets and getting Bitcoin. Uh, my last company, which was an online marketplace, uh, we had actually integrated Bitcoin payments uh, into the marketplace uh, using this company, using like a third party company uh, called, oh, geez, what was it called? I think it was called Diwalla. Um, I don't know if they still exist. I think they must. Uh, so we were we were like this marketplace for uh, makers, for like new consumer device makers, so people that were building like new cool hardware devices. And um, we'd integrated Bitcoin payments and we actually unintegrated Bitcoin payments because it was an absolute disaster. <laughs> like didn't work well and like it was buggy and uh, there was a whole bunch of fraud around it. But again, like this was way back when this was like uh, 2000, yeah, like 2012 or something like that. So um, so just generally been like following the space for a while, mostly as a nerd, mostly as a technologist, as an engineer, and then uh, really dove in professionally uh, more in uh, in like 2016, around 2016. Um, so Aaron, Aaron, my co-founder and I, who had, who had uh, we had decided to leave our jobs then at Etsy, which um, was the company that acquired our last company. And we were sort of taking our time figuring out like what we wanted to work on next. And, you know, over the course of the previous years, I'd made some like angel investments in some companies and some different protocols and um, had started acquiring Bitcoin and, and investing in Ethereum and a whole bunch of other protocols. And was like, we were just like completely enamored by the ecosystem and completely uh, uh, enamored by this, this idea of like a decentralized future where people could have, you know, self-sovereign finance or uh, own their own data. Uh, and uh, we can create like these decentralized networks where you know transfer of value is easy and seamless and uh, and uh, and you know and 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 at scale. And so, uh, I, honestly, we found our, I think we, I think we found ourselves like for, like really really fortunate uh, to be able to sort of make that decision and say like okay, what do I want to work on next? What do I want to work on for the next twenty years of my life? Like, what do I care about? Uh, and we could not get away from crypto. It was just like blockchain and crypto was where it was at. For, for me, it was a complete inevitability. Like this is going to happen. And I'm not the type of person to sit on the sidelines and uh, wait for it to happen to me. And so needed to get involved. 
you seem like a perfect example of the brain drain that occurred in crypto in the last kind of two to three years. Like just people that are super skilled and talented in other spaces are just all just like, wow, we need to jump on this in some way. I think David and I are, I mean, I don't want to say we're as accomplished as you, but um, we definitely, you know, had our roots in a lot in, you know, other professions and uh, found it just completely irresistible to jump in this space. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I think, I think like one of the biggest differences is like, um, one of the biggest differences is that, you know, you hear a sort of, you, especially in 2017, 2018, you heard a lot of like, people are just getting involved because like it's hyped up and there's this hype cycle. Uh, and I, I actually think that, that, you know, there definitely was like lots of people that got involved because there was a crazy hype cycle around crypto. But um, I also think that, um, you know, as crypto was starting to bud, you had plenty of like really great entrepreneurs and super smart people that were starting to look at it and take it very seriously. And, and one of the stories like I kind of tell some of my friends and family who uh, don't really know crypto well or don't really know blockchain well. And they're like, you know what, you know, they see sort of like some of the media and they see like, you know, all they see is like Lambos and they're like, Oh, like Bitcoin and Lambos. And I'm like, no, nah, it's like way more than that. It's not just like people boasting about, you know, how they're holding their Bitcoin bags. Uh, if you like take a step and like actually look at some of the really interesting folks that are building in the space, like some of the smartest people and some of the most interesting people I've ever met ever in my entire life are working in the crypto and blockchain space. Uh, and that like currently not like in 2016, not in 2014, you know, like right now, like in 20, in 2020, I almost said 2019, but it is 2020 <laughs> in 2020. Um, those folks are working on like really cool protocols. So how did your personal interests and what, uh, really, uh, got your passion running with crypto? How did that turn into bison trails? Oh yeah, man. So <laughs> this is like, uh, this is the fun, uh, the fun, like how did bison trails come to be? Sorry. Um, and I'm, I'm super pumped. I'm always uh, excited to tell this story because it, it, it gets me really excited. So I kind of mentioned like we'd been interested in crypto in general. Um, I, I will call it like safely call it from the sidelines, right? I made some investments, had done some angel investing, messed around with some technology, but never would not call, ever call myself like full time in blockchain. Um, so ultimately, when we decided, hey, let, we want to work on something in the blockchain space. Uh, one of the first things that we did was really wanted to, and, and this is, you know, in reference to like the brain drain, one of the first things we did was we really dug deep, you know, we said like, let's take the time, like, let's read the white papers, not white paper, white papers. <laughs> let's like get to know the folks in the space. Let's start to understand it. And I think this is like a, this is a characteristic of, of a lot of startup founders that I know, which is you can't really halfway go into something, you know, you don't really like startup founders I know don't really do things like surface level. It's kind of like, okay, you got to get the whole thing. You got to know the whole thing. You got to get it from like front to back. And that's how we felt about blockchain and crypto. Uh, and so we started digging in, understanding the technology, talking to as many people as we could, you know, across the board, like people building dApps, people building on Ethereum, met some friends that were working at Consensus, working on Ethereum. Um, I met some friends at the EF. I met friends that were, you know, mining, uh, and and uh, I just asked a ton of questions. And the one thing that kept coming up was like, there's this really, really weird scenario where you have like some of the smartest and weirdest people you've ever met that are building these new protocols, and these new applications. But then you have like this really like sort of shady, sketchy part of like the crypto world that's like completely involved in mining. And uh, And Aaron and I were like, we need to figure this out. Like, why is it that it's super esoteric? It's hard to understand. No one talks about why they do it. Um, and it's, it's such an important piece of like securing crypto networks. Uh, and so and making a profit is only, uh, accessible to those types of people. 
to totally. So, well, so you don't know that until you actually do it. So like buy a graphics card, it was, people will tell me, even today, someone will tell me like, should I buy a graphics card and like mine crypto? And I'm like, you definitely should not, you will lose money. Like 100%, like it's not worth it. <laughs> um, and that's mostly true on most networks. Um, obviously there's like probably some exceptions to that depending on where you live and you know, what kind of graphics card you have, et cetera, et cetera. Or if it's like a sunk cost because you bought it for gaming and your electricity is relatively cheap. Like there's reasons why you might want to do it. Um, and then there's reasons like you might not want to do it for profit. You might just do it because you actually believe in the ecosystem and you actually want to support it. A completely other thing. But you don't know that until you do it yourself. So we started doing a whole bunch of stuff. We originally built out like what we would call a test facility uh, in Brooklyn in an industrial space uh, that I had had the opportunity to have prior to getting in crypto. And we had some super cheap power. We eventually actually built out a pretty large, large for two people, but small in the ground scheme of things. Uh, <laughs> the power that we had, <laughs> the power we had in Brooklyn uh, was, I don't know, I want to say like five or six cents, which for New York city is like incredibly inexpensive because I think it's like 18 or 19 cents all in after yeah. transmission. Um, what was the year again? This was like 2016, 2015, 2016. Okay. 2016. Yeah, that's 2016. pretty cheap. That's pretty cheap yeah. for, for mining. Yeah. At so that time. We, yeah. So we, we eventually, um, we actually eventually built out a, a large for two people, but small for like Bitmain scale proof of work mine in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and we started, uh, you know, the first six months that we started working in the space, we actually traveled all around the country, like negotiating power contracts with tiny municipalities, like everywhere in the United States, uh, in like the middle of the country and like Wyoming and like Utah and uh, Washington State and Oregon. And like, you know, it, 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 the interesting thing is like, if you if you if you've ever built if you want to build a proof of work mine, there's three things that matter. Uh, it's electricity, uh, cooling, and then equipment costs. Those are like really the three things that matter. Uh, and, um, and so we were trying to optimize those things, but this all came from this interesting, like desire to unpack and create like, like an information around what the hell, like the early infrastructure in the crypto space was. Um, and a lot of that early infrastructure and particularly improved work networks is mining. So, you know, we kind of set out this goal to be like, let's open it up. Like, let's be really transparent about it. Let's talk to people about what we do. And we currently do this. So we currently do run, um, it's mostly a Bitcoin mine. Uh, we also mine some other coins as well, um, things like Ethereum. Uh, we were mining some Grin for a while. We were pretty into, uh, super into Grin for a little bit. I'm still, I should say, still into Grin, but um, had set up some Grin mining as well. Um, you know, Grin mining is not profitable at all. <laughs> um, Bitcoin mining is, Ethereum can be, really sort of depends on like <laughs> where you're trying to get out of it. But for us, this was all in, entirely about like, how do we get to know as much as we possibly can about these networks, how they're secured, how they run, how they're built, how the pools work, how messages are propagated, um, how the blocks are formed, how you validate, how do you secure these networks? So that was a really, really cool experience and a really, really, really cool learning for us. It, uh, it you know, it sort of transitioned into the version uh, of the, the company that we are building today. And really, so we had built this one project, which, which was this mine. Uh, at the same time, Aaron and I were working on a few different software projects, uh, mostly built on Ethereum. We were sort of like, hey, let's build like an application. Let's build a wallet or let's build. Uh, uh, we had actually built like some bots that were trading in decentralized exchanges automatically, which was like kind of cool and centralized exchanges, which was sort of fun. Neither of us have trading backgrounds, really. Uh, we're not really traders either. Um, we'd done it. It was fun. But we both were like, eh, it's like not really what we're interested in. But the super cool thing that we realized is that building applications in the blockchain space was still incredibly difficult, no matter what. Um, it was super hard to build like secure, reliable, geographically distributed infrastructure. 
to support a wallet or a dApp or anything and start talking to friends and being like, Hey, like, what is this like experience like for you? And everybody had the exact same thoughts, which was like, it's super hard. It's really hard to build in space. We have to spend a lot of time debugging things like a guest node or things like <laughs> a Bitcoin node. It's, it's not easy to do. And, uh, and, and for, for us, there was sort of like this click. We were like, Holy smokes. Like we've spent a whole bunch of time understanding like proof of work. And then there's an interesting thing happening as well, where it's really hard to build applications because of the tooling and infrastructure. And there's a shift in the market happening happening from proof of work towards things like proof of authority or proof of stake. And uh, we were starting to see networks like Tezos that were getting really close to launch at the time or Cosmos that they were like get, get building their incentivized testnet. And so we started building and running a whole bunch of infrastructure in a lot of these different networks and re- working really closely with different protocol teams and, uh, and starting trying to understand like how we can help uh, those protocols get more folks participating in the networks, running more nodes, validating on those networks, securing those networks, um, but really sort of like separating out this idea of you need to be really, really great at infrastructure security and DevOps from you want to be able to participate in the network. And so that's how like the first the sort of, you know, formation of Bison Trails happened was like, you know, we, we were really just building something for ourselves and combining like some areas of expertise that we had gathered over the course of a couple of years and building in the, in the blockchain space. So I think you just said it, but I want you to say it again. Can you distill... Sure what bison trails does down into like two or three sentences <laughs> yeah so we help uh folks that want to participate in blockchains in particular proof of stake and proof of authority and, and non-proof of work blockchains we help them run participation nodes so participating in one of those chains so uh something like cosmos you might want to run a validator and tezos you might run a one of baker uh, these nodes are purpose built to produce validate and propagate blocks in the blockchain itself it, it, you know, it takes they take different forms in different protocols. Um, uh, you know, and, and we've been we're currently live on uh, seven or eight. Currently live on eight protocols right now: uh, LivePeer, Algorand, Tezos, Cosmos, Decred, uh, Kusama, which is a Chaos or Canary Network uh, precursor to Polkadot. Uh, we're live on Ethereum as well, except for we obviously aren't doing any validation on Ethereum. It's mostly uh, full nodes and light nodes, full nodes and, and light clients. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on one. I can't remember which one I'm missing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we're also working really closely with 20 plus protocols uh, outside of those ones I just mentioned that are in some state of incentivized testnet about to go live, working really close uh, uh, or really getting really close. Um, so we're doing a similar thing with like the Libra Association and Libra. We're doing a same, similar thing with uh, MobileCoin or, um, uh, uh, you know, things like Celo or Near or Solana. Okay, so this is really important because this is how blockchains become more decentralized, become more dispersed. There's more people uh, engaging and being active community members in these chains. You're, you're reducing the complexity and the obstacles for novice, non-technical people to come and fulfill the obligations that are required of a validator. Is there any sort of like metrics or numbers that you guys can claim to saying like, this is your user base, and these, this, and for the percentage of our user base are 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 would never have ever been able to do this without um, without our service. Is there any sort of numbers you can throw at us? So uh, I don't want to share any numbers, and not because I'm being cagey about it, because I actually don't know all of them uh, top of mind and sort of mm-hmm. like in front of me. Uh, and there's there's two there's, so there's two reasons for that. The first reason, and I just want to like highlight this because you mentioned it's really important, and I agree. Um, the reason why and like the thesis behind our company and what we're doing is if we make it easier for people to participate in these chains, we make it easier for folks to 
uh, run validation and run participatory nodes in these networks, more people will do it. It's better for the network. There's better variety in cloud providers. There's better variety in hardware. Uh, there's better geographic distribution of these networks, which makes them less likely to fault and going down and, and or worse um, censorship. So that we're really excited about. As far as like numbers and like how many people are doing this that couldn't do it before, uh, the majority of people that are using us couldn't do it before uh, <laughs> or, you know, couldn't or wouldn't or it's not part of their core competency. Uh, so there's definitely like very few people that are using us that like just want to, at least right now. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, big portion of that. And, and the truth is like, it's still very early in both the life, life cycle of these protocols as well as our company. So it would be like unfair, like our growth has been great and it's been super fast and it's been, you know, lots of people use us, but, uh, we haven't been around long enough and the protocols haven't been around long enough for the, those numbers to like feel fair. So I kind of want to get a better understanding because it seems like I'm just going through the website and it seems like you guys definitely host the infrastructure, like the user does not own their own server and does not control their own hardware. They are using you as a SaaS service to host this stuff. Like, yep. I think that that's like very fuzzy between like actually decentralizing something. So I kind of totally. would like to get your thoughts on like what you consider to further decentralize outside of you getting more users and hosting this stuff in the cloud. I think that's a great question. It's a super important question. And uh, um, it's something that I, I talk about pretty regularly. Um, there's kind of like two, two things that are important there. One, the line in the sand that uh, people have drawn around decentralization is kind of arbitrary. Um, you know, us making it easier, I think, is more important at this stage in the life cycle of blockchains uh, than necessarily us being like a, a centralization vector as a SaaS platform. Um, you know, you could say the same thing about like everybody uses Linux or everybody uses Intel hardware or AMD hardware or everybody uses Bitmain ASICs or everybody uses Antpool. Uh, I think like, you know, decentralization isn't an absolute and that it takes time to get there and that there are companies that are doing good and being transparent about the good that they're doing to move the ecosystem forward. And we're one of those companies. With that, I actually think that we're a significant decentralization force in the ecosystem, uh, at, in, even in the form that we're doing this today. So we've been pretty active participants on a number of these different networks. And you'd be shocked as to how many uh nodes that are run on these networks are run on like AWS East. Um, and so being that we are a multi, the, one of the only, if not the only multi-zone, multi-region, multi-cloud provider SaaS platform for cloud computing that's specifically focused on blockchains, we actually make it incredibly distributed compared to what folks have been doing independently. There's that. We've also built a ton of technology that can easily move nodes between uh, cloud provider zones and regions. Um, so if there's like an, and we've seen this happen already, if there's like an issue or an outage in a cloud provider, we can actually move those nodes seamlessly to a different cloud provider or a different zone or a different region, which is something that like folks can't actually do. Uh, mo most folks can't do uh, manually on their own. Uh, and then the last piece, and this is kind of like a bonus. <laughs> so those are the two. Uh, the last piece, which is a bonus piece, is that part of our mission statement is actually to move decentralization forward. So we're actually working on specific technology to un quote, I'll use your words to unfuzzy that line between, uh, you know, ownership, who actually owns it, uh, who, who controls it. Um, and there's, there's definitely ways I'll, I'll sort of hint at it. There's ways to create uh, trustless provable ownership of administration on infrastructure. And those are things like we're working on. So if I could verifiably prove to you that no one can change your infrastructure without your permission, who does own it? Is it you? Is it me? Is it Amazon? <laughs> Is it Intel? 
Um, and so I think like that's what's more important than anything else. Do you think that users owning and running their hardware, um, whether it's like cryptographically proven or whether it's like physically, you know, in their possession, which I think is just stronger in general, but I guess, do you think that that is like a realistic ideal? Like what do you, how do you kind of see, you know, all this infrastructure shaking out? I think there's a world. So we've built our platform in a way. Um, that's currently like multi-cloud, multi-zone, multi-region, but we've built it in a way that we can add new cloud providers and new data centers relatively easily. So there's a world where like down the road, you can have mom and pop, mom and pop shop data centers um, that are on the Bicentrals platform as essentially hardware providers. Um, that can also transform its way into things like people providing excess capacity in their homes. It's not like part of our short-term roadmap. Um, I think that I actually think like, whether it's cryptographically proven or it's in your own possession, there's probably better, there's pros and cons with both. Like you can be not a professional, own it and have it, you can own a Raspberry Pi, have it in your closet, but be a really bad network operator and be terrible for a network. And so my my vision of this is uh, we get further and further towards like truly decentralized. But if we try to aim for like, hey, everyone's running their own Raspberry Pi in their own dorm room, uh, we'll never get there. And then we actually have to take steps to get there. And you just have to have the right, like transparent companies in place to do it. And that's why we're excited about what we're doing. Cause you know, part of like the mission and like why the hell we're doing this is we're like, we want to make this better and easier and more obvious. I'm super excited to tell you guys about one of my favorite companies in the space, Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is a Bitcoin company that is built on the foundation of multi-sig. Uh, their two main products right now are Bitcoin-backed loans that are built on multi-sig, so there's never rehypothecation. All the funds are held on the blockchain, and all the funds, you know, and all the keys to the funds are spread across uh, different parties, including yourself. So you can be one of the keys. And then they have a Vault product, which is really aimed to make multi-sig for Bitcoin as easy as possible. It's a two of three multi-sig. You hold two keys. They hold one. I like to use it to diversify between exposure to Ledger and Trezor. I use them both as uh, different keys. So if there's an issue with one of them, um, you know, I'm not exposed to just one single SIG. So a really easy way to do that. On top of that, if you want them to be a regular countersigner, they can add on a lot of really cool um, financial products and financial services on top of it. For example, you can set a limit for how much funds can leave uh, for them to count, uh, for them to contact you. And so if someone's trying to rob you of 100% of your funds, they got access to one of your hardware wallets, Unchained Capital, before they countersign, they will contact you, make sure that it is truly you who are trying to send the funds. Uh, for me, you know, I expose some of my funds to Unchained Capital. And I think that they are a massive value add to the diversification for how I store my funds and my Bitcoin. Um, and again, big fan of the company. They have set aside tons of resources to helping Bitcoin and growing Bitcoin. So uh, shout out to Unchained Capital. Check them out at unchained-capital.com or email them at hello at unchained-capital.com. What's something that the average crypto community member would be interested in that uh, only you know or, or have just learned because of your position at Bits and Trails? Is there some like fun facts that you have learned from gathering all of these uh, infrastructures that uh, from these various chains that you can share? One of them is one that I kind of already shared, which was that like 
when left to their own devices, um, people will choose like the path of least resistance over security and decentralization, which means that if there isn't a guiding force or someone paving a path forward, that you end up in a scenario where it's like suboptimal for the world. Uh, and so that's why you end up with like a whole bunch of networks that are run like mostly on AWS East. And when AWS East goes down, like that's really shitty for the blockchain ecosystem. <laughs> so so that that is like one thing that we have definitely seen. Um, and one thing that, you know, obviously we're excited about our own position and why how we can help, but also we're excited about, uh, you know, the future there. And then, um, you know, the other thing, and this kind of comes, this is a funny one and maybe not something that's only I know, but the truth is, is like, a tremendous amount of hash power is centralized around just a few different mining pools and proof of work. Uh, and that to me is both concerning and disappointing. There's a lot of reasons why it doesn't matter and a lot of reasons why it matters a lot. And I don't really fall on either side of the fence. I'm pretty agnostic to, to how that ends up. But you know, those are those are a couple of things like my experience I've driven like where I'm like, oh, this is actually obvious. And I think people know this, but maybe they didn't. But the, the, the sort of like the security decentralization uh, spectrum, I think You'd be surprised even like the most crypto native folks uh, will opt for like ease of use. Um, so I'm not for, not too sure how familiar you are with the ETH2 spec, but in there is a, a quadratic slashing. So if everyone has uh, their nodes in AWS, uh, if, if, your, if your home node goes down, you get slashed yep. a small amount. But if, every, if a lot of people's nodes go down all at the same time, the, yep. the amount of slashing tends to go up, 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 up to really yep. disincentivize people from all using the same like AWS server. Uh, so yep. with Bison Trails, do you guys, are you, have you guys accounted for that? Yeah, so awesome question. Um, there's actually a similar proposal going through the Cosmos network right now that's getting voted on um, on-chain, uh, you know, through on-chain governance. Um, I believe it's called proportional slashing is what the Cosmos Cosmos network is calling it. So we we actually have published something recently about this, um, sh illustrating that using a provider like Bison Trails is actually better for an individual than if they were doing it themselves. Um, there's a couple of reasons, like at a very high level, you as an individual uh, operator have no idea what everybody else is using. So how can you possibly make a decision about where you should be running your ETH2 nodes if you don't know what anybody else is doing? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that you're less likely to be able to recover from a fault and recover from an outage uh, as fast as we can, being that we're a professional service. And so we actually uh, put ourselves in this. It's, it's funny, we haven't voted for the spec in Cosmos, and we're like not, not sure if it's actually the best thing for the Cosmos ecosystem, even though it would break, greatly benefit us as a business. We still have not voted for it, and we might not vote in favor of it because I think in the current state of the cosmos ecosystem and most likely similarly in the early state of the eth2 ecosystem uh it might not be good for the individuals and that's not something we want to hurt so there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to sort of you know look at that problem i'm not i also say i'm not intimately familiar with the eth2 spec but like pretty pretty uh pretty familiar with the eth2 spec and it's um you know it's a tricky one it actually it could be really beneficial to bison trails so continuing on the Cosmos slash Ethereum like overlap, uh, Cosmos has that infamous moment where uh, somebody's validator went down and then their backup validator kicked into gear, uh, yeah. but it did so prematurely and their main validator also started back up again. And so they had two validators signing signing messages, which is a big no-no. And like yeah. it's significant. So uh, I want to keep that in mind while I ask my real question. If I want to, uh, if I want to run my own node, and then my my node goes down, 
it'd be really nice if then I could have Bison Trails as a more dependable, higher uptime service was able to act as my backstop. Um, and so have you guys like kind of looked into this whole dual node functionality and protection service uh, kind of offerings? Yeah, so we, um, part of our infrastructure platform is we provide super robust, what we call like robust node clusters. And our uh, Bison Trails node clusters are actually representations of optimized Sentry node functionality alongside like microservice uh, validation and signing node functionality. So we actually, what we do is we isolate all the different pieces of node operations uh, and optimize them, optimize the infrastructure around them. So, uh, and then protect them as well from a security perspective. Uh, we have technology in place that stops us from being able to double sign. And, and so again, like similar fashion, like you as an individual might struggle uh, to operate a node in a way uh, that, you know, could prevent it from double signing. That's a super high risk for you. Um, we, are still, you know, we're still working, obviously still working on a lot of this technology, but that is, you know, our bread and butter is doing this, right? Like you might be, you, you have another job, you have other things going on. The only thing we care about is solving this problem, which means that, you know, we're really, really in a, we're poised to, to solve this problem super well. Um, so we do, we currently run redundancy. We, we run redundancy, geographically distributed redundancy. So we can cover against like outages in a specific zone, uh, outages, in a specific region, outages because of software. Um, and we're, we're able to do that because of the platform we built. Joe, I, I have a feeling that I'm going to be asking just the hard questions here. So um, go for it. I hope you're ready for them. So <laughs> I love it, when you're, just, when you're like, I understand how from a technological perspective, like you can obviously provide a better service. Like this is, you know, specialization at its sure. finest. But on sure. the flip side, like I get this eerie feeling like if, you know, Bison Trails and similar services are the only way to efficiently run these nodes or it becomes the majority, then you even kind of get this like sign up KYC layer on top of these networks. Do you get what I'm saying? Like if they have to sign up through you in order to do this effectively, I don't know how hard it's going to be in the long term, but like, do you see how that can potentially be like a risk factor for decentralization and censorship resistance in general? Totally. Um, I think that, I think that's very fair. Um, I think that uh, we believe, well, I mean, really that question is kind of circled around like what are our requirements, especially like KYC AML requirements around like people using our service. Um, you know, obviously like we want to make sure that we're not facilitating like nefarious activities or illegal activities, um, but also being super cognizant of like the risks around like censorship resistance. Um, so I think like, that's probably like a, a very fair criticism. If people are using us, then like, you know, they have to, they're, they're using us, they're paying us for stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I think like one, we're not really, we're not running a hundred percent of most networks. So that's a good thing um, <laughs> right now, at least because our technology is, isn't ready to be running a hundred percent of most networks. Uh, and two, um, I think that, uh, I don't want to keep leaning on this, but the the state at which blockchain is in right now, which is truly in this still like build, I think we're still in the early innings, uh, require us as blockchain participants, developers, evangelists, ecosystem members to prove that the technology works and it works at scale. And we haven't done that yet. And I think the best way to do that is uh, creating the type of infrastructure specialization and services that can show that, that, that we can do that. 
I think it's, I think you're ultimately asking like a pretty hard problem, a, a hard question. There's ways to get around that. There's ways for us to be able to set up crypto only payment operation accounts. And maybe people don't have to give us credit card numbers or don't have to use their real names. I'm not saying we do those things, but there are ways to do that in a way that uh, helps promote decentralization and censorship resistance, you know, while still just making sure that we're, you know, not screwing up the world. <laughs> I'll, you know, it's funny. I, I love, I actually really, I don't think it's a hard question. I do think it's a hard question, but I'm not mad you asked it because I love that question. And I'll, I'll tell you like a, just a really quick story. Um, so I'm, a I'm obviously like a huge nerd. I'm a big technologist. Um, I always have been. My wife isn't, she didn't really understand blockchain and crypto that much when I first started getting into it. And, uh, she asked me like, she would always ask, she's super curious. She would always ask like a ton of questions. And uh, at some point it like clicked what we were doing. And I remember like the moment she turned to me and she was just like, you have the opportunity to like build the world in a way that's like way better for society and for everybody else. She's like, you also have an opportunity to completely mess it up for everybody. And she's like, just make sure you keep that in mind as like you're going forward and building what you're building. And I was like, I will, I will definitely keep that in mind. Uh, and it, it, you know, that your question makes me think of that. It's like, you know, it really just comes down to like the ethos and the mission of the company and what we're trying to do. Like, yeah, we're a company, we're for profit, but we know what we're doing. We know what we're trying to do and we, we're going to stick to our roots. So I'd like to turn this question to a more <laughs> geo or turn this conversation to a more geopolitical conversation. We, you touched on, on it a second ago and, and then we kind of left it. But um, can, you, can you talk about the importance or the impact of geopolitics and blockchain node distribution and how that might be a threat to some of these um, blockchains and where Bison Trails fits into that, that conversation? I gotta keep it high level and then and then we'll get down into the details after. Yeah, sure. I, I love how like I'm like casually like, yeah, sure, I can talk about the geopolitical landscape and <laughs> infrastructure. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I think what's what's interesting about this is that we've seen a lot more movement or we've seen a lot more activity in in the sort of question that you're asking in the proof of work world. Um, because it's more mature. There's more proof of work infrastructure and mining going on in the world. Uh, and so you know, it, it, well, it feels also more tangible, right? Yeah, it's it, for most people, it's more tangible. For most people, proof of work represents like a machine. I, I might add the majority of them being Bitmain machines and no one is complaining about that, but, <laughs> or people are complaining about it, but we all are okay with it. Uh, it's no secret. <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's no secret. S9s but. work really well though, and they had a great shelf life. So yeah. we don't know what the next cycle is going to bring. <laughs> it's 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 true they did have a great shelf life they do work really well uh but you know it, it's it's funny like i'm not like uh hell no like bitmain really screwed us i'm like thank god they did that that was pretty awesome they made the network safer <laughs> um a lot of people call anyway, them a boogeyman but they helped a lot for a long time they did they really did getting back to the question i think like there you know it's, it felt like every month there was like something new coming out of like europe or something new coming out of iceland or something new coming out of india or something new coming out of china about you know we can or we we're welcoming bitcoin miners we're welcoming proof of work miners or like you know proof of work miners get out <laughs> you're hogging all our electricity you know it was kind of like there's these sort of like very hyperbolic like news stories over the course of the last few years that seemed like they were you know almost month to month uh, bipolar, you know, it was like one moment it was like, come, come on in. And the next moment it was like, get the heck out. Um, so I think China bans think Bitcoin, it, right? I mean, like it's just it, you're just you're constantly hearing like a ton, a ton of th this kind, these kinds of of new stories. Um, I, I really think that like you know the the 
the interesting thing about this is that in proof of work, it's actually pretty hard. So one, we're seeing a lot more of it. And, and two, it's actually pretty hard to like move an entire mining facility. Um, I'm always shocked when I'm like, I hear like Chinese miners move across the country, um, which apparently is a real thing. I've never seen it, but apparently they move from like one place to the other, like almost like nomadic miners. It's, it's crazy to me. Uh, but, uh, but also um, I think that, uh, you know, what's really interesting about that is that folks have been able to uh, adapt, you know, and, and I think like the, the sort of the, ge the geopolitical unrest around like crypto and blockchain and the uncertainty around it have made people like pretty nimble. Like, people are, you know, folks that are getting involved in the space are kind of like, all right, well, I just need to, I want to support this. I need to figure out how I can do this, where I can do it, where, where I can make sure that I'm compliant and legal and it makes sense. And, um, you know, at least a lot of people are, a lot of people are, flying under the radar as well, I'm sure. So that's been super interesting. As it pertains to, uh, you know, new, what I'll call just next generation protocols or protocols using alternative consensus algorithms like proof of stake or proof of authority, uh, it's, still, it's still new. I think like people are, folks are still figuring out where they can be, where they should be, where they can't be. Um, and what we do is we've actually facilitate a lot of that. Uh, we facilitate a lot of that movement for folks, whether for whatever reason that they want it to be. So um, you know, someone might want to participate in Cosmos, but they want to be make sure that they're represent, representing Cosmos in Southeast Asia, for instance, and they want to make sure that they have a professional provider and professional service for running a validator in Southeast Asia. And that's something they can do with us. They can also run those nodes in Europe. They can run them in, you know, North America. They can run them in South America. They can run them in Japan. It's really up to them. And that, that kind of transportability is actually a really cool thing, not just for the operator themselves, so the people who are using Bison Trails, but also for the network itself. Um, so, you know, if a network is concerned about, um, if the network is, is concerned about like where nodes are operating and is there enough coverage, it's pretty neat to work with a, a company like Bison Trails because we can actually help decent geographically distribute nodes easier than um, if, if folks were kind of just like left to it. So you support a lot of coins here and I'm very curious, like of the protocols that you work with and are live specifically, which ones yeah. have like really surprised you and in what way? I, I've said, I think I've said this before, like some of the folks that I admire the most that I work with, you know, that I'm most excited about are the folks that I admire the most in the crypto space are the protocol founders. So I've, over the last like two to three years, I've found I'm incredibly lucky to have spent a lot of time with a bunch of different protocol founders, everything from like having a drink, meeting them at a conference or like, being in a deep technical talk about how their protocol works on a whiteboard in their office. Like I've, I've gone through like a whole bunch of different iterations of that without like being too cheesy. I think like almost every one of the protocol teams we've worked with <laughs> have like incredibly surprised me and that their, their like their ability to be brave and like try and build something new, which is I think super, super hard. Um, but also like the tenacity, you know, people are like putting them down all the time. It's not going to ship. It's not going to work. This is new. It's an experiment. Um, and they just keep pushing through. So I think that's, that's very, very cool. Um, as far as like the networks that are also live um, that we support, um, I think that, you know, they're all super impressive in their own way. Um, one of the things that's been cool in particular, and I'll, I'll shout out to the Cosmos ecosystem, uh, is that, you know, and, and um, I don't know how much you guys know about the Cosmos ecosystem, but uh, in the early days of Cosmos, yeah, probably not much. In the early days of, of Cosmos, um, they focused a lot on uh, building uh, community. And so there's actually a really strong community around Cosmos. Um, there's lots of folks that are interested in governance. Um, we see this a lot in Tezos as well. Uh, folks are interested in governance. They're participating. 
they're holding the asset, they're building for the long term. And that's, that's super, super surprising to me. You know, it's kind of like, there's this, like a whole group of people that are like holding out for like what a, a better time when things are going to be better, people are going to build on it. And that's, that takes some really interesting long-term thinking. And I think community support helps to do that. Um, it's certainly something that we see on Ethereum, right? Like I think one of the most, one of the best things and one of the most impressive things about the Ethereum, about Ethereum itself is the community around Ethereum. And then like uh, in a very different way, <laughs> yeah, in a very different way, we see that around Bitcoin as well, but it's a different type and, and uh, a, a different uh, form of community. So, you know, also in an unfair way, we don't really support Bitcoin all that much. Um, not, not as individuals, we do support Bitcoin and we are big believers in Bitcoin, but the platform, I should say, doesn't support Bitcoin yet for now. <laughs> uh, and so, and so uh, yeah, I, I would say like Cosmos is one that's really impressed me because it's been... I don't know, just about a year now that it went live and it's still thriving. Community is there. The, you know, Atom token hasn't like tanked completely. <laughs> People are still holding it and trading it and staking it, which is awesome. I was actually kind of surprised that you guys didn't offer any sort of lightning services. Um, I think that that definitely fits in your wheelhouse. Do you have any plans yeah. there? <laughs> uh, we're, we're definitely like in, we're in talks with like folks uh, at lightning. Um sorry, talks that are working on Lightning. We actually helped organize the Lightning Conference in Berlin. So like folks from our team were there. Um, we are like, we are truly, unlike you two, we're actually truly protocol agnostic. So like we want to help the ecosystem thrive. Like we don't believe Bitcoin is better or Ethereum is better or Cosmos is better or, or you know, we're actually sort of like, look, like we are here to help each of these different protocols scale. Uh, and the more we can do that, the better it is for everybody. You know, we feel the same way about all the protocols we're working on. So, uh, so do we have plans? Uh, I don't know yet. I'm still not sure. We're still trying to figure out what's the best way. Like for us, the most important thing is that we can provide a lot of value to the to the protocol and to the ecosystem. We're still trying to figure out how we can provide the most value to Lightning. And if we can figure out a way to provide value to Lightning, we'll certainly add it to the platform. So one of the uh, projects that Bison Trails is providing their services for is to Libra. Can you yeah. kind of tell us the story of how the how Libra and Bison Trails overlap? You know, it's a it's a fun one. It's actually like, it's funny, you know, you spend some time on like crypto Twitter and you get like so much hate in different forms. There's so much, there's so much love, but also so much hate on crypto Twitter, which is funny. And I remember when like the news broke about Libra, there was like a couple of folks that were like, oh, like these people are all like, you know, Facebook friends and they all know each other. And like, that's why they're in on this. Uh, and it's pretty funny. Like I actually, you know, for what it's worth, like didn't know anybody at Facebook. Um, I mean, everybody has a friend that works at Facebook. So like, I probably do know people at Facebook, but I can't even think of one off the top of my head. But like, it's not like we knew that team. We didn't even know what they were doing. We had no idea what was going on. The way we found out about it was honestly like pure just like grassroots work. Um, we had over the course of the previous year. So we met, I met the Libra team about a little bit more than a year ago. And over the course of the previous year, we had spent a lot of time working with a lot of different protocol teams, um, helping spin up things like test nets at the earliest stages, helping them think through things like token economics, how the protocol should work and having these like really interesting conversations and, um, and then helping them spin up infrastructure on their networks and really running like secure, reliable infrastructure in the earliest stages and doing everything like running long running test nets for six months or nine months for free, just because like, we're like, this is super cool. Like we're so interested in this. So someone that I had met, I was actually at, um, I was actually at GrinCon in San Francisco and someone that I had met, had met someone from the Facebook team that was working on blockchain. And they were like, Hey, you guys should meet. Uh, and the Facebook team basically approached us, you know, like they, they asked them like, who do you know? They asked a bunch of different protocol teams. And they asked like a few other folks that we knew, like, 
who do you know in the space that's like the best at infrastructure because we're trying to build this this <laughs> this blockchain network and uh we need help on the infrastructure side and so they got referred to us you know at first we kind of met them and we were like oh this is you know they couldn't really say much they couldn't really tell us much about the project so i was pretty hesitant at first if i'm being entirely honest i was kind of like i don't know if i really want to like help facebook build like facebook coin but very quickly afterwards uh, i found out what the actual project was, what they were trying to do, that they were creating this association, um, that Facebook was only going to have one vote, and it was super interesting. And so uh, then we got really excited. And I was like, oh, this is very different. This is super cool. This could actually be incredibly meaningful for the crypto, crypto ecosystem. And definitely, I think that we should be helping. So to what extent uh, is Bison Trails uh, integrated into Libra, or are you? would you consider yourselves more like a contractor or... Like how, do, how does that relationship actually look? Yeah, so we, um, in October, we officially joined the Libra Association, which is an association of, it will be an association of 100 members. Uh, there's currently 20, and we're adding uh, new members pretty regularly, um, which means that we're on the governance board of Libra. Um, so we vote, uh, we essentially have one vote amongst 100 uh, to govern the Libra Association and the protocol You have itself. an equal say as Facebook. We do, yeah. So I personally vote alongside <laughs> Facebook. Um, also, <laughs> cool. it's super fun. Um, also, last week, uh, I was elected by the Libra Council to the Libra Te Technical Steering Committee. Uh, we just announced that as well, uh, which means that it's a pretty, it's a very technical role. Um, it's, it's actually kind of common in open source projects. Uh, we do things like figure out who a lead maintainer is and govern the open source uh, code repository and, and uh, you know, help accept uh, proposals to inc to improve like the open source project. Um, so we're pretty involved. Uh, we're in the association. We help govern it from a governance perspective. We're heavily involved in the technology side. We help move the technology forward. We're helping to um, we're helping shape the roadmap and bring on like the open source technical talent to to build the the project itself as well. What do people most get wrong about Libra? I mean, the number one thing is that people are like it's Facebook coin, uh, which is just wrong. I mean, like it's that's like a a perception problem. Facebook is, like I just said, Facebook is one out of 100 votes uh, for Libra. And it's, you know, Facebook took the initiative in getting this started and getting it built and getting people uh, interested in it, which is great. Uh, but at this stage right now, it is, uh, you know, an independent organization that is uh, governed with alongside, you know, Facebook is one of the voting members. So that's, that's the first thing. Um, and the second thing is, I don't know if people know this, but Move, which is the uh, language that um, Facebook open source as part of the Libra project is super, super sick. Um, for technical folks out there, you can actually take a, take a look at it. It's, it's actually really, really cool um, as far as contracting and, and, um, and blockchain languages go. In terms of like the actual basket of like, it's like the coin itself is going to be backed by a basket of currency from a legally perspective. Like, is that like, how does that work? Like who owns the actual assets in the bank? So I, actually can't talk about like the basket the the asset basket and stuff like that um and not because like i'm hiding anything uh i just like don't know enough about it to talk about it um the association has like a, a treasury board and uh folks that are still it's, it's all like still very much a work in pro those things are still a work in progress um so folks are working on it and uh you know the, i know what i do know is that the plan is to um as we design and build more uh, confidence around how what it's actually going to look like to just be super public about it how it's going to look what it's going to be like you know so the questions you're asking those are all uh, things that are currently being resolved so it's it's not like it's not set in stone yet 
Can you give our listeners perhaps a reason to be bullish on Libra? Yeah, I can give you. <laughs> if your listeners are even remotely, that you specifically uh, know from your position with Bison Trails, I I can give you a reason that I specifically know, but honestly isn't entirely driven by my okay. exclusively by my position. <laughs> it's a little bit more like pragmatic, which is that uh, Libra Libra's goal is to enable you know to, to enable uh, remittances and payments around the world seamlessly using like crypto network. Uh, if that succeeds, um, it will create one of the most transacted and used crypto projects in the world, which is incredibly, incredibly good for everybody that's building in the blockchain and crypto space. It, it moves the entire market towards mainstream adoption and acceptance, which is something that we all want, regardless if you're bullish on Libra or Ethereum or Bitcoin. And so uh, I would say, like I mentioned before, like when I met the Libra team, at first, I was a little hesitant, but then I got excited. One of the things I got really excited about was like, holy shit, like this could make everybody be using, everybody in the world use crypto. Like that is incredible. And that's like a big win for you, for me, for us, for everyone. Is Libra a cryptocurrency? <laughs> who, who, could, who could actually answer that question? Um, it depends how you define a cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah, my, like my personal opinion is yes. Yeah. Uh, my okay. my personal opinion is definitely yes. Um, you know, you can get into like the nuances of the data structure behind it. You can get into the nuances of like how how you know permissionless it is or isn't. Who who is actually like running the infrastructure? There's a whole bunch of like there's a whole bunch of people have opinions on the, these things. Um, so uh, you know, it's kind of like it feels like a moot point to even to, to take a stance on. David came up with this question, but I'm I'm kind of curious why the name Bison Trails. So I mentioned that like when Aaron and I were first working uh, on building a mine, we had spent a whole bunch of time traveling around the country. We had found ourselves like flying on like Southwest flights from like New York to like Utah or New York to you know Wyoming and renting cars and like driving through like the countryside. And we ended up spending a lot of time in Wyoming before Wyoming became, before Wyoming was like, now Wyoming is like pretty crypto friendly, but for a while it was like illegal to do crypto, to do crypto or have, <laughs> have, have Bitcoin in Wyoming, which. I'm not really sure how they would figure out that you had Bitcoin in Wyoming, but I guess you weren't allowed to. Um, but as, as they were sort of shifting, the state was working on shifting, we were starting to think about like, hey, maybe we should build this in Wyoming. Uh, and um, we'd spent a lot of time looking at different sites in Wyoming and the state animal of Wyoming is the bison. We were, when we were thinking about naming the company, naming a company is actually really hard. It's like one of the hardest things <laughs> that you have to do. You have to stick with it forever. Uh, so we were like, well, we kind of have a couple options. We can either name it something like really literal, like, you know, infrastructure crypto or something, or blockchain infrastructure. Um, and I was like, or we can name it something that like is a little bit more playful, plays to our personalities a little bit more. And we were like, why don't we name it something that uh, is like a bit of a, a hat tip to some of the early work we did uh, when we were, you know, first like professionally getting started out in the space. And uh, and we were like, yeah, that's, that'd be interesting. Like we spent all this time in Wyoming and why don't we name it after the bison? Something that's really interesting about Bison is that they were really helpful in helping early pioneers move across the country and travel across the country. And they would pave these paths forward and create these bison trails that pioneers would follow to move from east to west. Incredible, incredible animals. They're super powerful. They've never really been domesticated. They There are some in like the park under Golden Gate Bridge or something in SF, which is like kind of neat. Uh, I haven't seen them yet, but they're, you know, mostly haven't been uh, domesticated and they're just like these really crazy animals that are like huge and like, you know, they can run like 30 miles an hour and 
Um, but most importantly, they like paved paths for pioneers. And so we were like, it'd be really cool. Let's name it after that. Because, you know, Bison Trails is really aiming to like sort of pave this path forward and show the way forward um, as far as like decentralization and the blockchain space is concerned. Awesome. Awesome. This is a fantastic interview, Joe. I'm so <laughs> excited that you got on um, and I'm excited to share this. For the listeners, if they want to learn more about Bison Trails or they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so you can reach us uh, at bisontrails.co. Uh, which is our website, uh, or on Twitter at Bison Trails, or uh, you can email me, uh, Joe at BisonTrails.co, or on Twitter at Joe Laluz. Happy to talk to folks uh, over email or Twitter. I'm also at Joe Laluz on Telegram. <laughs> Very cool. For the listeners who tune in for the first time, this is POV Crypto. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find the show at POV CryptoPod on Twitter. David? You can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Joe, for giving us your time. This was an awesome episode. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This is really fun. Cheers. Will you?